You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. We're starting a new sermon series this week called We the Church. And I was thinking about how to introduce this, and I was thinking about um, how we have different perspectives, how two people can see the same thing but have two different perspectives on that. And that was really driven home to me yesterday. Um, yesterday morning, I officiated a wedding for uh, Cody and Anaya. Some of you know them that uh, come to church here. And uh, in the afternoon, they had a reception. And so we were sitting at this table, me and my wife and my daughter, and across the table were two people that we did not know. And, uh, you know, you've probably been in that situation. Weddings, sometimes that happens. And so we're talking to them and trying to find out a little bit about them. And then they find out that uh, I officiated the wedding because most of the people at the reception weren't actually at the ceremony. And then through that process, I said, yes, that's the third wedding I've done in the last four or five weeks. And I've got a wedding next weekend. And uh, the gentleman that I was talking to said, I cannot imagine sitting through four weddings. I thought my wife was going to come unglued. Because she loves weddings. Now, as a pastor's wife, you get called on to do different things. And uh, I'll just share this about my wife. She's I think she's a great pastor's wife. She loves our church and ministers in a lot of different ways. There are two things that I've never had to ask her to do. One, go to a wedding with me. She loves weddings. It's about love, and it's like, it's like a Hallmark movie live. And so for her, that's great. Matter of fact, sometimes if, if I'm not officiating the wedding, she'll go and I'll stay home um, if, if, I can, if I can swing that. That and see newborn babies. She loves to do that. Uh, those are two things that I've never had to ask her to do. Um, I, I don't say to her, hey, you know, someone had a baby, I'm going to go. Well, lately we can't because of COVID, but, you know, usually we go to the hospital and, and see the baby, and she's, she's usually telling me, hey, let's go. I'm like, they all look the same generally, They're, but I know that's not true. I've just offended somebody. So we can have different perspectives about the same thing. Two people can look at a wedding and see different things. Some people can see love, and some people can see people, you know, putting on a ball and chain. What about church? If I say church, what does that conjure in your mind? Does it conjure a building with a steeple? Does it conjure some great cathedral? Do do you think about the idea of just sort of the church universally, everybody that knows Jesus as being a part of that? And we use church in a lot of different ways. The truth is, I misuse the word church all the time. Because I will say to my wife, she'll say, where are you? And I'll say, I'm at the church. And what I mean is, I'm at the building where the church gathers. But for shorthand, I say, I'm at the church. Or I'll say, 
I'm going to go down to the church to do this or to do that. And I refer to the building, but the building is not the church. The church is the people. We make up, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we make up the church of Jesus Christ as a whole, but then there are local congregations, local uh, embodiment of the church, and that's what this is this morning, this gathering of Belmar Church. And so as we talk about the church, I want you to think in small terms, in local terms. These principles will apply universally, but when we think of them universally, then we can sort of not think of them personally. And I want us to take personally what God has to say about the church. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at various aspects of the church, and we're going to look at it in the analogies that are given in Scripture. We're going to talk about the church as a body. We're going to talk about the church as a flock. We're going to talk about the church next week as a family. And this week, kind of springboarding off the message last week that wasn't really part of this series but does apply, we're going to talk about the church as a fellowship. Acts is the history of the first church. Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. He, is, he was born, of course, in Bethlehem. He lived a sinless life. He had a ministry for three and a half years, and then he was arrested and crucified on a cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And then uh, for about 40 days, he, he ministered and was with his followers. And then he gathers with his disciples... And in Acts chapter 1, he ascends back into heaven. And so now you have a group of people who have, have heard from Jesus. They've seen him die and rise again. They, they have had this great experience, but now what? And so Acts chapter 2 begins the, the church. It, there's the day of Pentecost and all of the events happening there. And then as Acts chapter 2 progresses, it talks about uh, the sermon that Peter preached under the power of the Holy Ghost. And in Acts 2 and verse 40, it says this, And with many other words he testified, talking about Peter, and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And so you have this event where Peter preaches, people believe, there were a group of people that already believed, and then thousands more believed, they're baptized, they, they are now part of something, but what do they do? How does that look? And Acts 2 and verse 42 says this, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. 
Uh, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them uh, among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. If you would, put verse 42 back up there for me. Verse 42, these people get get saved, they believe, they're baptized, and then immediately is verse 42. And two things they, they did immediately. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. Well, what is that? That's the teaching. They, they were learning. They were growing in their faith. And fellowship. Fellowship. It's interesting that immediately the first church, fellowship was a part of that. And we talked about this last week, and so we'll not take a lot of time here, but this idea of intimate relationship with one another. That as they were learning, it was not an isolated thing. It was done in the context of a group. And it was done in the context of interaction and relationship with one another. See, the church is a fellowship. And the church was born in fellowship. This is what God would have us to do. We are not, uh, we are not, lone rangers as followers of Jesus Christ. We are not just meant to have a relationship with God in isolation, separated from others. Rather, God has called us to be part of a fellowship. We, we first, as, and we talked about this last week, have to have fellowship with God. John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus Christ said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And we talked about this last week. This was our text. We talked about what it really means to abide in God and to have fellowship with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this is what God does. He models fellowship for us. First, he models fellowship for us in the relationship of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see this throughout the life of Christ. You can read through the Gospels, and Jesus is always referring to the Father. He said, I don't do anything, but but the Father leads me. And and I don't do anything that the Father doesn't want me to do, but he also, uh, the Father loves him, and the Father blesses him and guides him. And so there's this intimate relationship that is shown. And it's this fellowship God himself models fellowship. And then God brings us into that fellowship. Our our first spiritual relationship is with God. 
That's what it means to, to know God, is to be, Jesus said in John chapter 3, you have to be born again. You have to be spiritually born into God's family. And, and there's all kinds of analogies in the Gospels about this, but it says that our body is the temple of God, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. God gives us a new heart. He, he begins to change our thinking. He permeates all, all of who we are. And is this relationship, this fellowship that we have with God. And so God shows us this. He models this. And then we're to have this same type of fellowship with one another. So the first question we have to ask is this. Do we have fellowship with God? Do we know God? Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, it, it probably is not as profound to you as it would have been to the readers of Romans when Paul writes and says there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Because in fact, in the society in which they lived, there was a huge distinction between Jew and Greek. The Jews viewed themselves as, as being God's chosen people. That's how they were described by God. They were God's favorite. The Greeks would have viewed themselves as being the intellectual leaders of that day. They, they were the ones of the great philosophers. They were the ones who, who had this great thinking. They were the ones who thought that they had it figured out. But what Paul says is this. There's not a distinction to those who come into fellowship with God. He said they have to confess their sin. They have to recognize who they are before God Almighty. That God is a holy God, and that his standard is holiness, perfection, sinlessness. Anything less than that doesn't meet God's standard. You might say, well, I am a lot better than a lot of these people here. And maybe you are. But that doesn't make you holy. And that's the standard. It's not about being better than somebody else. It's not about being a 51% good against 49% bad. It's about being 100% holy. And if we're not that, we don't meet God's standard. And so we have to confess that we are sinners. And then we have to believe. We have to believe the remedy that God has given us for that sin. And that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life, died a death he didn't deserve as a sacrifice, a substitute for us. And to show his power over sin and death, he rose again from the grave on the third day. 
that we might be able to believe and put our trust in him and in that sacrifice. And when we do, the Bible says that we receive the grace of God in our life. And grace is getting something that we don't deserve. Now, we're familiar with mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is like when you get pulled over and that cop comes over to write you a speeding ticket and you know you were speeding and he lets you off with a warning, that's mercy. Some of you are like, that never happens to me. (laughs) Welcome to my world. I have a face born for prosecution, apparently. (laughs) When I got my driver's license, I think I got three tickets in the first two years I was driving, and I got pulled over three times. If I got pulled over, I always got a ticket. My little brother got his driver's license. He got pulled over five times in the first year he got his driver's license. Never got a ticket. That's injustice. (laughs) But that's mercy. Grace is getting, is receiving something that we don't deserve. God's love. God's forgiveness. God accounting us holy when we and God both know we're not holy. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the grace of God, he accounts us as holy. And we're saved. We're born again. We are made in fellowship with God Almighty. And so... My, my first question to you this morning is simply this. Are you in fellowship with God? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Not that you're perfect. Not that you're on fire for God and everything's great. But has there been a place and a time in your life when you've confessed that you needed forgiveness from God and you believe, put your faith and trust in Him to save you? Because the Bible says that when we do that, he is faithful to forgive us, to save us, to extend his grace towards us. And so before we can talk about fellowship within the church, you need to think about whether you have fellowship with God. When you join Belmar Church, we ask you to come to Discover Belmar. And, and when you do that, uh, we, we talk to you about your salvation experience, about when it was that you came to know Christ as your Savior. But the, the truth is, there's not, we can't do like a blood test or a swab up your nose or any kind of a, 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 a salvation test. We can accept what you say and we can look for fruit in your life, but Joining Belmar Church doesn't make you saved. That won't get you God's grace, and that won't get you eternal life with him. It should be an extension of God's grace in your life, that you're part of a local church. But 
fellowship with God and salvation in him is the first step. And it's not a step we can skip and do any of the other steps. Do you have fellowship with God? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. How could that take place? It takes place with the fellowship that we have with God. Because that fellowship leads to fellowship with other believers. We have the same mind because the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. That God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will begin to change the way that you think so that you will see life and you will think about your life in terms of the way that God sees and thinks about your life. And so we can begin to have the same mind. Now that's a, for all of us, that is an imperfect and and rocky process. Because some days we see and we think with the mind of Christ very well. Other days, not so much. But fellowship with each other comes from fellowship with God. Jesus said this in John chapter 15. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than, a, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Now I've referenced this before, but I'm the oldest of three boys and my my younger brother, my the next brother is about two and a half years younger than me. And so when we were growing up, our relationship was, we were tight. We did a lot of things together, but we fought a lot too. But as we got, got older and middle school and high school, then we began to develop other relationships, other friends. And my house kind of was that place where people kind of hung out because it was already all boys. So all of the, the nice things had been broken long ago. And, um, you know, my mom would occasionally allow balls in the house and, and, uh, it was just, it was a, it was a great place to hang out. It, it already smelled bad. So it was a place where guys could fit in. Um, like, I think I was like 20 before I knew what a doily was, you know, I was like, what's that thing they put? Why would they do, you know, don't you just set it on the table? Sure. There's a ring left, but that just adds to the character. That's kind of the way it works. Right. And so me and, and my buddies, they would hang out at my house. And my brother and his buddies, they would hang out at our house. And as that took place, then my friends became my brother's friends. 
And my brother's friends became my friends. And as we grew, and even as we got older, even today, people that, that were my brother's friends when he was in high school are, are people that, that I have a relationship with and, and still do different kinds of business with and just that we have a relationship. Why? Because those relationships cross over and they spread out. And this is the idea as we are united in Christ then we begin to have relationships, fellowships with one another. Fellowship is how we live in harmony. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse number 3, says this, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. If we are following after God the way that we should, we're in relationship with him and, and we're walking with him, then as we do, we will have fellowship with others who are doing the same thing. It doesn't mean that we will have uniformity. God never calls for uniformity. We do not all need to look the same, dress the same, act exactly the same, but we should be looking for harmony. Psalm says that it is, it is a, a beautiful thing. It's a precious thing for brethren to dwell in unity. We should have harmony with one another. That doesn't mean that there's never conflict. I, I, I've referenced this before, but I, sometimes I like a good fight. You know, just kind of mix it up a little bit. Not physically, I'm too old for that. But, uh, you know, just, and we shouldn't fight for fighting's sake. But we could have disagreements. We can have those types of things. But if we're followers of Jesus, we have a basis for, for settling that. We should, if we're led by the Holy Spirit and we're living our lives on the principles, our lives on the principles of God's word, then we have a basis for resolving conflict. And so it's not that we'll never have disagreements, but we should have harmony. Fellowship reminds us that we are all in the same state. I want to spend a few minutes in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Listen to what? Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you or beg of you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each of you, each, each one of us, excuse me, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
So a couple of things here that I want us to see. The first is that we're united under the grace of God. Look at verse number four. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So here's what we see. There is an element in our relationship with God in which we are all exactly the same. And here it is. Each of us are born in sin. Now, it may be different sins. You may have a propensity for one sin that I don't struggle with at all, but I do have sin. And that sin causes me to be separated from God. Outside of the grace of God in my life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I am destined to spend eternity in judgment in hell. All of us are born that way. And we come to Christ through Jesus Christ by confessing our sin, recognizing the situation we're in, and putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. All of us are extended the grace of God through Jesus Christ if we know Christ is our Savior. You with me? So all of us are sinners saved by grace. If you're here this morning and you know Christ and you are, will spend eternity with God in heaven, you did not earn that. You are not good enough and God doesn't love you more than he loves anybody else. And so we're all the same in that regard. Even though there are a lot of things that make us different, if you know Christ is your Savior, then you're a child of God. You're his son or his daughter. And none of us earn God's favor or love. He extends it to us in spite of our sin. And so we can't take pride in God's grace in our life because none of us did anything to deserve it. And so we're to work to keep the peace. Look at verse number one. I want to read verses one through three again. Paul says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why would I need to humble myself to somebody else? Why would I need to put somebody else's desires ahead of my own? Why wouldn't I only be concerned with me? Because we are all the same, but in that, when I deal with another person, I am dealing with a person made in the image of God Almighty. I am dealing with a person that God loves so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for them. And so I can recognize the value of somebody else. I can understand how 
we, we should have fellowship with one another in humility as Jesus Christ humbled himself. See, because if I'm not careful, and we talked about this a little bit in, in our connection group this morning, I think Satan really works in us in a couple of ways. One, he, he seeks to push us down and override us with guilt. Satan will say, you know, I can't believe you think like that. I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe you would lose your temper. I can't believe you would be involved in that activity. I can't believe you would speak to someone that way. Think like that. You are so bad. You are so unworthy. God can't use you. That's a lie. Because there is no sin that is beyond the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And, and God loves us and he desires to save us, to forgive us, and to form us and be in the process of forming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so it's a lie to, 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 to saddle us with shame and guilt to the point that we just don't even try. But then if we're not careful, pride can begin to take hold. We can say, God loves me. God is blessing me. I mean, I'm doing pretty good. Yes, I was a sinner saved by grace, but look at me now. But all of that is just God's work in your life. Who are we to think that we're better than somebody else? If God has given you talents or abilities, if God has blessed you, whether it's in your relationships or financially or in your career, if God has given you great intellect, whatever it might be, all of those things are simply gifts from God. We didn't earn those things. Even the ability to, to work hard and, 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 and have any kind of success about anything is a gift from God. And so recognizing who we are and then recognizing who others are helps establish fellowship. Because if I'm dealing with someone and they're a child of God, that is a person who, who God loves and who has extended his grace to and has saved them. That's my brother and sister in Christ. And if I'm dealing with someone that's not a believer, it's somebody that Jesus Christ died for and he desires, it is his will, to bring them into his family. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so either way, what do I have to be prideful of? Not only that, but fellowship is a result of the love that we're to have for one another. See, as we experience the grace of God in our life, the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And our love for God grows. And as it grows, then we begin to love what God loves. We begin to care about the things that God cares about. So how can we hate our brother and sister in Christ? 
Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, says this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And then he says this, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfast in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Be kindly affectionate to one another, preferring one another. Because after all, as we become more like Christ, isn't that who Christ is? The one who didn't deserve death, but sacrificed himself for us. The one who could have come as, as God to be worshipped, and yet he served and washed the feet of his disciples. Jesus said this in John chapter 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also Love one another. And then he said this in verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The distinguishing characteristic of a child of God, of a follower of Jesus Christ, is not chaste living. We should live in a way that seeks to keep sin out of our life. But that is not the distinguishing characteristic of, Jesus, of a follower of Jesus Christ. The distinguishing characteristic of a follower of Jesus Christ is that you love one another. Jesus said, that's how people will know you're one of my followers. That you love one another. Not by a Christian t-shirt, not by putting a fish on your, on your car, but that you care for one another. Finally this morning, fellowship is how we work together. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 3, says this, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I thank, I thank God. I give thanks in my prayers because of how you as a church are who fellowshiped with me in the gospel. You are a partner with me in the work of the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ. And he says, God began that work and God is going to complete that work. Fellowship is the basis for the work of the church. The work of the church is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to help followers of Jesus become more like him. That's our job as the church. And that takes on different forms that takes on different ministries that we do but that's it in a nutshell to see people come to Christ and to grow to be more like Christ and it happens through fellowship we work for the glory of God and according to his leading Philippians chapter 2 
beginning of verse number one says this, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And then he says this, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for out for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion of man, in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow to the, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then he says this, because of all that, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Man, there's a lot we could unpack there. But for time, I just want to kind of highlight a couple of things. It says that we're at to have the mind of Christ. The one who made himself of no reputation. Here's the miracle of the church. The miracle of the church is this. We, as a church, are made up of sinful people saved by God's grace. And yet, our sinful nature still rears its head still infects our hearts. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Let nothing be done for our own glory, out of our own pride or our own conceit. But that happens all the time, doesn't it? I'll just tell you as a preacher, man, I pray and I ask God to give me messages and to give me the word that would ask his word to go forth. And, and, and I want God to be glorified in that. But man, if I'm not careful, I go, that's a pretty good message right there. Man, that was, that was all right. Somebody had to retweet that or whatever you do. I don't know. What's that? That's pride. I mean, we can come and we can serve God. We can have the right heart, but if we're not careful, that pride can slip in. And we've got to guard against that, but the miracle of the church is this, that even in the midst of, of that, of our imperfection, God's work can be accomplished. That's the miracle of the church. That, that God can take a group of, of, of imperfect sinners and use them 
to do his work here on earth. And so we need to seek to be like Christ, the one who made himself of no reputation. And then finally this morning, we need to recognize that we work and we sacrifice for an eternal reward. Philippians also says in chapter 3 and verse 7, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, to whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or trash that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that or, or my own good works, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Listen. God desires for us as a church to be in fellowship with him. And, and the result of that will be to be in fellowship with one another. And through that fellowship, he will accomplish his eternal mission. The mission of the church. This is what God is calling us to. And Paul says, I count everything else as trash. The Bible says this over and over. Jesus said, listen, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where thieves can't come in and steal it, where, where rust won't take place, where corrosion won't happen because the things of this world will pass away. But you realize that our fellowship with God should grow deeper and deeper throughout our life. And when we die and go to heaven, then that fellowship is fulfilled in the ultimate way that God designed it. That's our relationship with God, right? But the same principles are true with one another. That our fellowship with each other should grow as we grow in Christ. And the relationships that we have here on earth will also be the relationships that we have in, e in eternity. You want to know who your neighbor is in heaven? It might be your neighbor in church. Some of you just, some of you are like, I got to find a new church. Hopefully that's not what you're thinking. But that should be the nature of our fellowship with one another. And God has called us to be a part of his church. And we as a church are a fellowship. And that is a powerful thing. And so I would just ask you, this message today, the, the, the fact that we are to be in fellowship with God, that we are a fellowship together. What does that mean for you? For some of you, maybe that means you need to become in fellowship with God. 
You need to confess your sin and you need to ask God to forgive you and put your faith and your trust in Him. That's the first step. Maybe some of you need to take the step of obedience and be baptized. For some of you, maybe you need to formally join with Belmar Church or, or you need to get serious about being a part of a local fellowship. Here in just a couple of weeks, we're going to have a, another Discover Belmar class. And, and if you're not uh, a member of Belmar Church, we'd love for you to come and be a part of that. It's Sundays after church and, or Sunday after church. One day, we'll feed you lunch. You can find out more about the church, get your questions answered. But we do that to help people become part of, of our fellowship. Maybe you need to mend a relationship. Maybe you've been harboring some things and, and haven't been offering forgiveness or haven't been seeking forgiveness for somebody that you know you've wronged. And you need to make that right because your fellowship with other believers affects your fellowship with God. I don't know what your need is, but I would encourage you this morning to consider your relationship with God and your relationship with others and consider if you're in proper fellowship with both. Let's bow our heads this morning. A gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that it is to us in life. God, I pray that if there's somebody here this morning that does not know you as Savior, I pray that today they would have the courage maybe to, to, to talk to a person that they came with or to come and find me after the service. There's no more important conversation that could be had than, than to help someone know how they could have forgiveness of the wrong things that they've done, have eternal life with you and, and fellowship, God, with you. Lord, maybe there's somebody here that has been struggling with the issue of baptism, church membership. Maybe it's a broken relationship that needs to be made right. God, help us to be serious about this issue of fellowship with you and fellowship with one another. Bless us, God, as we go from this place today that even as we leave this building, we are still the church, and help us, God, to fulfill the mission of the church this week. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.